Well, good morning, and again, uh, welcome to Downtown Presbyterian Church. My name is Jonathan Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. And let me especially welcome you if you are new or visiting, and we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. We would love to say hi to you afterwards, so please, uh, please do come up and say hey before you leave. Uh, We're going to continue our series this morning uh, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Um, You'll see a selection of different Proverbs uh, printed in your bulletin, and we'll read those in a moment. They really lend themselves to be considered topically, and so that's what we've been doing so far this summer. Um, We've looked at things like friendship, and last week we looked at our speech, and this morning we're going to talk about our work. And these Proverbs, they're, they're wisdom literature. So you kind of have to grapple with them and and work to apply them uh, into the nuances of your life. It's been said that they they give us skill in the art of godly living. Um, That they they give us wisdom for navigating the many gray areas of our lives where things are less clear. Um, That they, they shape our intuition and our instincts. And so this morning we're going to look at Proverbs that deal with our work uh, you know, as we do that, it, it's easy for us to totally separate our work life and maybe what we would call our spiritual life, as if those two things are totally separate and that Sunday mornings has little to do with Monday through Friday. And thankfully, these, these Proverbs say otherwise. Um, the Bible is deeply interested in our work. And these Proverbs in particular address the way that we go about our work. So let me read, let me read these for us. You'll see them printed in your bulletin, beginning with Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, And an idle person will suffer hunger. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not ever bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. This is God's word to us. Let me pray. Father, we do ask you and even beg you to come and meet us by your Holy Spirit through your word this morning. Lord, you know what's weighing on our hearts as we enter this room. And we pray that you would meet us in the midst of that. It may be very well connected to our work. Lord, this is a heavy, uh, weighty topic for us. 
So we pray that you would be kind and speak to us during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prior to moving to Greenville a year ago uh, to come on staff here, my family and I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, where I was at the University of Kentucky working in college ministry. So our lives and our world revolved around college students. And so as you might imagine, we got to see all different types of work ethic uh, from different types of college students. Um, th- there, were, there were students um, who were so incredibly hardworking and diligent and thoughtful, and they planned out every detail, and they would work ahead, and they were actually doing, you know, way more than they needed to. I actually, I was sure that many of them could have been doing my job. So there were some of those really diligent students. Um, and then there were, there were other students um, who, were, uh, who were just not as diligent um, and who, uh, you know, you kind of wondered how they got there and how they were able to stay around uh, based on some of their, their work ethic. Uh, a great way to get a snapshot of this on a college campus is to go into the library. Go into any university library and you'll get a snapshot of this. Uh, you might look around and see students overworking, right? Um, hidden away in a corner, stacks of books, um, working hours on end, like haven't been exposed to sunlight in days. Um, and they're, they're there so they can like turn in their English paper two weeks early. Like they're going way above and beyond. Uh, they're overworking. They should probably go outside and throw a Frisbee or something. But you'll also see another category of students uh, underworking in the library. For them, the library is something very different. Uh, The library is not a place for diligence and studying and reading, but the library is a place to pull off the perfect prank. Um, At the University of Kentucky, the library is called William T. Young Library, affectionately known as Willie T. And in Willie T., there's a giant atrium in the middle of the library, and there's a big sort of center column there. And uh, as you would imagine, it's, it's very quiet in the library because most people are studying. Um, especially during finals, it's a really odd time because it's packed, but it's quiet because everyone is studying. Uh, there was one group of students uh, not working diligently, uh, but instead planning a prank. And this group um, roped themselves up to that center column and uh, in the middle of a busy finals week, rappelled down the middle of the atrium Uh, like ninjas descending on the library. Everyone studying just looked up and they were in shock as to what was going on. Uh, There was another group of students uh, not working diligently in the library that uh, they they took a a stereo and they tied a rope to it and they, they, they put like a CD or something in it and they timed it to where as they lowered the stereo down, it landed on a ledge that could not be reached. And as that stereo landed on the ledge, it started blaring music in the library, in the middle of the quiet library, and no one could reach the stereo. It was just blaring music, and so maintenance had to come in and bring ladders in and, and get it down. Uh, but in a college environment, you see this kind of thing all the time. You see overworking, and you see underworking. And that's not just college students, is it? This, this is us too. Uh, Maybe you find yourself more tempted towards one or the other, or maybe, like me, you've seen both overworking and underworking in your life at different times. The Proverbs speak to this. They're they're talking about our work ethic. Um, And uh, I would just say this, that um, I I want you to think broadly about the term work as we talk about that this morning. So here's what I mean when I say work. 
Um, I just mean whatever God has called you to right now in life. So it might be like a traditional job, as you may think of it, something like business or medicine or law, um, technology, sales. You might be teaching, uh, mechanics, retail, food service. Uh, You might be at home for work, uh, caring for children full-time. You might be at home uh, caring for an aging parent full-time. You might be a student full-time. So when I talk about work, I'm just referring to whatever takes up your day. All right, so as we think about this, I I just want to think about two things. The problem with our work and God's wisdom for our work. The problem for our work and God's wisdom for our work. Let's talk about the problem with our work. All right, so whatever work looks like for you right now, I'm sure that it's hard. That there are aspects of it that are stressful, uh, that are frustrating. Uh, Work does not go how we hope it goes. Uh, The people that we work with can be difficult. Not in my job, of course, but in other jobs, the people you work with can be difficult to get along with. We get burnt out. Um, We get cheated in deals at work. Um, We get passed over for a promotion that we really did deserve. Uh, We we could go on, but but work is really hard. And thankfully, the Bible is not silent on the topic of work. These Proverbs don't just pop up out of nowhere. Um, The call for us to work, um, to have a job, it was actually part of our original design. We see this at at creation, at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So the Bible affirms that that work is good. Before sin entered the picture, if you can imagine this, everything was good. Everything, including work. Um, It it was not some uh, dreaded, like, necessary evil um, that got in the way of our leisure time that we just sort of had to do to pay the bills. No, it was for our flourishing. It was good, and it was good for us, and our relationship with it, with work, was good. We actually imaged God the Creator and God the Worker as we worked. We were made for it, and work was good. But then Genesis chapter 3 changes this. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, it led all of humanity into rebellion against God, and it fractured not just our relationship with God, which it did, It also fractured all of the created order. And sin corrupted even things like our work. And this is what sin does. Sin takes God's good things and breaks them and messes them up. So sin took God's good gift of work and messed it up. Sin is why work is difficult. Sin is why we dread Monday mornings. We weren't created to dread Monday morning. But work is now under the curse. And we see this in a lot of ways. But the Proverbs that we're looking at, they speak uh, primarily into our work ethic, into how we approach our work. We see that we're prone to underworking, laziness, and overworking, workaholism. Let's talk about these. Let's talk about how the, the, one of the problems of work we experience is underworking. Um, The Proverbs, as we read, they describe it as being slothful or being a sluggard. This is describing just what we would call laziness, just being lazy. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 15. 
Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. 19 verse 24, the slugger buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. 20 verse 4, the slugger does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. All right, so this is underworking, right? Not doing what needs to be done. And even beyond that, it's going out of your way to avoid doing what needs to be done. So um, I went to seminary in St. Louis. And when my wife and I moved there, we bought an older home in an older neighborhood, which was, you know, charming and great and all that. But with older homes, it's not uncommon for a basement to leak when it rains. Now, as an aside, I realize this is at least the second time I've stood up here and talked about a leaking basement. Just to be clear, those are two separate homes that I purchased, both of which had leaking basements. So uh, these are different stories. I clearly just have a knack for buying real estate. Uh, but in this home in St. Louis, the day, after, the day after we closed on our house, we had this torrential um, downpour overnight. And I woke up the next morning, walked to the bottom of our basement stairs where we had this really cool finished basement and the carpet was totally soaked with water. So discouraging. And so I thought, no big deal, I, I can deal with this. So I got a drywall knife used to cut drywall, and I cut open the wall, found where it was leaking, and we had this company fix it. No big deal, right? Now all that was left was to patch this drywall. And a few days go by, and I did not patch the drywall. A week goes by, still not completed. A few months go by, I had still not patched the drywall. A year goes by, I had still not patched the drywall. Three years go by, and it's time to sell our house. So I patch the drywall. I, I, I was the embodiment of slothful when it came to this giant hole on our wall. I would sort of just walk by it at the bottom of the stairs and pretend like it wasn't there. But from literally day one until the, our final day in that house, giant gaping hole in the wall. Because I was so lazy. I, I was dreading having to do it, so I just put it off. Why are we so prone to laziness? You know, the scriptures, they speak to our hearts and they aim for our hearts What's going on in our hearts when we're lazy? There might be a number, of, there's probably a number of answers to that question, but let me just highlight a couple things. We may just want comfort more than anything else. Um, and it, it sort of becomes the grid through which we sort of prioritize our lives. Um, how can my life be the most comfortable, be the easiest, be the most pleasurable with the least amount of effort involved? And however I can do that, that's how I'm going to live. It's comfort at all costs. Work is hard, and it never ends up how I want it to, so I'm just not going to do it, or I'm going to delay it as much as possible. So maybe we're just living for comfort. Uh, sometimes our perfectionism makes us lazy. This seems a little counterintuitive, but if our standard for our work is perfection, then fear of not being perfect can lead us to procrastinate and be very, very lazy and put things off because we're so burdened by not meeting this perfect standard that we have for ourselves and our work. Um, there's one writer named Richard Winter who, who has a book on perfectionism, and he calls this the defeated perfectionist. The defeated perfectionist. He says, one failure for such a driven person 
might be enough to tip the scales from a healthy pursuit of excellence to self-destructive perfectionism. He says, paralysis may ensue with fear of mistakes, self-doubt, indecision, and procrastination to the point of passivity and utter defeat. We might be lazy just because we want things to be easy and comfortable. We also might be lazy because we're perfectionists. And we have this crushing standard of perfection on all that we do, so we end up just putting it off and never getting it done. But either way, in our laziness and our refusal to work hard, we are fighting against something that God created us to do. Uh, One writer says that an unwillingness to work is a crime against creation itself. It's a rebellion against part of our humanness. That's what happens when, when we're lazy, is we're rebelling against part of how God made us to be. So I wonder, are you fighting against this part of you that God has created within you to work? Are you getting done what needs to get done? All right, so sin, it causes us to be lazy, to underwork. And these Proverbs call us to diligence in our work. But this is an important distinction. Being diligent is different than overworking and workaholism. We're going to talk about diligence in a moment, but we are so prone to workaholism in our culture that we need to see that overworking is just as much of a twisting of God's design for our work as underworking is. So let's talk about overworking or workaholism, as we could call it. <clears throat> Last summer, there was a, an opinion piece in the New York Times that was entitled this, In Silicon Valley, working nine to five is for losers. Now, this is... Um, an article about the tech and startup industry. Uh, however, the problem that it's describing is not unique to this industry. Uh, so I'm not picking on tech startup companies. Uh, but this is a great example of our overworking culture. Uh, the article says this, the first paragraph, Silicon Valley provides itself on thinking different. So maybe it makes sense that just as a lot of industries have begun paying more attention to work-life balance, Silicon Valley is taking the opposite approach and branding workaholism as a desirable lifestyle choice. An entire cottage industry has sprung up there, selling an internet-centric prosperity gospel that says that there is no higher calling than to start your own company, and that to succeed, you must be willing to give up everything. This author goes on to say that it's, it's known as the hustle in this industry. Essentially, it just means extreme, extreme, extreme workaholism. And in this article, it quotes an advocate of this type of work ethic, saying that he tells um, those new to the startup world that they should be, quote, uh, be working 18 hours a day, every day, no vacations, no going on dates, no watching TV. Um, he quotes one leader as saying, uh, I rarely get to see my kids. That's a risk you have to take. Apparently, it's, it's not just those starting these companies, the leaders, the founders, but it's trickling down into just the company culture that's being created. One employee said this, quote, the expectation is not that you should work smart. It's that you should work hard. It's just do, do, do until you can't do anymore. The article goes on to say that they're seeing, quote, people being asked to give up their vacations, their sleep, their youth, their family, and their morals on the startup altar. And it ends with this final paragraph. 
Quote, the chance to become the next 20-something tech celebrity billionaire has not lost its power. Every year, thousands of fresh recruits flood into San Francisco, hoping to be baptized into the religion of the hustle. As bad as things have become today, there might be worse to come. Again, not unique to just San Francisco or just startup culture. I mean, this is a temptation we're all prone to. Maybe this is you. Maybe this describes how you relate to your work. And it's important to point out that what's being described here is not the wise diligence of the Proverbs. This is something totally different. At this point, described in this article, work has moved from being a good gift in your life to becoming the most central thing in your life around which everything else revolves. Why are we so prone to overworking? Well, we overwork when when we've oriented our hearts, when we've centered our hearts around success at all costs, power at all costs, winning at all costs, um, acclaim and achievement and money at all costs. When we center our hearts around that thing, we're going to become workaholics in order to try to achieve it. And it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. And and to, to get underneath it, to understand more of why you lean into work this way, You have to honestly ask yourself, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I working in this way? Uh, For what or for whom am I working? To what degree is my identity and value and worth tied into not only my work, but my work ethic? Sin has really messed up how we approach Work, And we see this in both underworking and overworking. But thankfully, th- those are not the only two options. How does God's wisdom in the Proverbs speak into our approach to work? Let's talk about God's wisdom for our work. And I want to highlight two aspects of how God, God's wisdom shapes our work. And that's diligence and identity. Diligence and identity. Wisdom, according to the Proverbs, means working with diligence. And diligence is not workaholism. What is it then? What does it look like to work diligently? These Proverbs speak to it. All of them do. But let's look at uh, just Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It says, go to the ant. Isn't this great? God's word tells us to go look at an ant to learn how we ought to work. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. All right, what can we learn from the ants? My kids love to find ants and just watch them. What do they show us about how we ought to work? Uh, the ants, that they don't have someone telling them what to do. They take initiative. And they go out and they work. They do what needs to be done without someone having to tell them what needs to be done. Um, they're self-discipline. They're planning ahead, preparing. They're working thoughtfully about how to complete a job. This is diligence. We can think about diligence this way. Diligence uh, means to be a good steward of your time, 
of your gifts and of your work. To work diligently means to be a good steward of your time, of your gifts, and your work. Diligence is working smart and working hard. All right, so, so kids um, who are in school, think about it this way. Diligence in school. Um, it's not laziness, right? Meaning you ignore your homework and just don't do it. Um, or you procrastinate by putting off your homework to the last possible minute and then just sort of rush to get through it and turn something in. It's also not overworking with your homework, right? Anxiously obsessing over it, um, spending every waking moment worrying about it, and then feeling like you're on this roller coaster for your grades, up and down, depending on the grade that you get. But diligence with schoolwork is simply doing your best work in the amount of time that you have and trusting the Lord with the results. That's the simple but profound wisdom of the Proverbs. Do your best work in the given amount of time that you have and trust the Lord with the results. These Proverbs, they force us into self-examination. So, you know, maybe you're you're in an office setting and, and you're responsible for people. People report to you. Um, as a leader, what is the tone that you set in the office? What's the company culture that you've created? Is it underworking? Is it overworking? Um, what would it look like for you to model and encourage diligence at work? It's important to see, too, as we think about diligence, that there's... there's um, There's something tied to working diligently in these Proverbs. You may have noticed that. Um, Many of these Proverbs say that diligent work leads to our prosperity, that there's actual gain that comes of it, that like riches and wealth and abundance come to us when we work diligently. And the Proverbs function where all things being equal, this is what is true in life. So what this is saying is that all things being equal, when you work really hard, there's going to be a good payoff. And this also accounts for exceptions to this. Uh, there's going to be things like a downturn in an economy that no matter how diligently, how diligently you've worked, you're going to lose a job. It has nothing to do with your work ethic. So there are certainly exceptions to it. But these Proverbs are saying when all things are equal, when you work hard, there is good benefit. There is gain from it. All right, so I, I doubt that anyone would disagree with the wisdom of the Proverbs to work diligently. So I think the real question for us is how. How do we work diligently without falling into the trap of underworking or especially without falling into the trap of overworking? All right, for us to be diligent, our identity has to be grounded in something greater than our work. Uh, Work was never meant to be the most central part of our lives. That article that I referenced was highlighting a work culture in which making work the most central thing was not only celebrated but required of you. All right, this is not God's design for how we approach work. Uh, There's a great documentary that came out a few years ago called 20 Feet from Stardom. And it's a documentary about the best backup singers in the music industry. So it's a documentary all about backup singers. And it's really amazing. I mean, it's the best of the best who sang backup for the Rolling Stones, Ray Charles, Michael Jackson. I mean, all these just enormous musicians. 
Um, and what's amazing is as you watch this documentary, you don't know any of these people. You've never heard of them because they're backup singers. That's the whole point. And within that documentary, there's an interview uh, with a backup singer, and, and they're asking about success, what it means for her to be successful. And she said, um, success for her means singing so beautifully that she does not get noticed, but the person at the center of the stage sounds even more beautiful. Some of these backup singers actually went on to try to make it on their own in solo careers, and they couldn't make it because they were just wired. They were made in such a way where their role was to be a backup singer, and they weren't to be noticed, but they were to enhance the beauty of the one at the center of the stage. Y'all, our work was never intended to be at the center. Your work was never made to be your God. Your work cannot bear the weight of your life and the weight of your soul. Work was always intended to be off to the side and something that when we did it, it pointed to the beauty of who Jesus is. Uh, We will only approach our work rightly when Jesus Christ has given us our identity. So wisdom means working out of this identity in Christ. And the Proverbs actually point us to this. We talked about this uh, proverb uh, maybe three weeks ago. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. So true wisdom for all of life, including our work, begins when our hearts fear the Lord above all else. And to fear the Lord is to yield all of life to Him, to have Him as most central in our hearts. And this happens when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And we don't naturally seek after this. Our our default mode is to constantly look for identity outside of the Lord in things like our work. But Jesus comes to rescue us to wake us up and to give us a new heart, a heart that finds its fundamental core identity in Him and what He has done for us. And when our hearts are so captivated with what Jesus has done, when they're so secure in His life and death and resurrection on our behalf, we're no longer going to be tempted to look at our careers or our work ethic to define who we are. The Apostle Paul talks about this new identity in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to how Paul talks about who you are if you believe in Jesus. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how we approach our work appropriately. Not by working, but by resting in the fact that we've been given a new identity in Christ. That we're a new creation that is fundamentally defined at our core as being reconciled to God. We're no longer defined by our sin and rebellion. 
We're no longer defined by things outside of the Lord, like our work, but we're defined by being united to Jesus Christ. So this allows us to say, uh, I'm going to work my hardest. I'm going to do the best job I can do. I'm going to love my coworkers. I'm going to honor the authority in place at work. I'm going to love my family and my friends. I'm not going to lose my soul in this job. And I'm going to trust the Lord with the rest. And we can say this because success in any one career or any one job does not make you more valuable in Christ. In the same way that failure in any career or any one job does not make you less valuable in Christ. We need to hear this. Failure in a job or in a career does not make you less valuable in Christ. You are defined by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And in him, you are a beloved son or daughter. And nothing can change that. No work experience, no job can ever change that. When this is your identity, you can then begin to really work diligently as the Proverbs would have us. When Christ is at the center, it'll motivate you out of your laziness. You're going to begin to to work out of this new identity and to seek to actually glorify God with how you're doing your work. At the same time, when Christ is at the center, it's going to free you from your workaholism from trying to build your life on something that it was never meant to hold you. Wisdom in our work comes from knowing the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that wisdom is not only these proverbs and your word given to us, but wisdom is Jesus Christ himself whom you sent to come and rescue us. He was a perfect embodiment of all these things. And it's in his work on our behalf that we can rest and have this identity in you. You are our salvation. You're the one that makes us new. You define who we are. We thank you for the good gift of work. Pray that we would not be lazy and underwork that we would not be workaholics looking to define ourselves by our work ethic, but that we would, according to the wisdom of these Proverbs, work diligently in whatever it is that you've called us to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.